0: invite you to look together with me today at the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. We're going to consider verses 1 through 15 in a message entitled, Growth in the Kingdom of God. So we think about growth in the physical world. It's a pretty amazing, fascinating concept. Uh, Plants, like other uh, physical things, go through stages of growth, beginning at germination Uh, And going all the way through to maturity and then finally death. And all plants require the same things in varying amounts for growth and development. Sunlight and uh, particular temperatures and water and nutrients and all that goes along with a good growth process. And likewise in the spiritual world, in the kingdom of God, it is a fascinating concept to see how God brings something to life that was not alive and then grows it and when we think about our own individual spiritual lives we're blessed to be regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit and then by faith to walk with Jesus as his disciple and then the kingdom of God in a larger sense uh, also grows and we're gonna see today in the words of Jesus that growth in the kingdom of God requires a sower it requires seed and it requires soil now begin reading here in Luke chapter 8 and verse 1 speaking about Jesus the Bible says now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary called Magdalene out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chazah, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance or from their provision. Verse 4, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. In our scripture passage for today, we learn that people close to Jesus were responding positively to his message. The content of his message was the kingdom of of God. The believers included the 12 disciples who were in the close circle of Jesus and following him, and also identified here are a number of women who had received the healing power of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, who had been delivered from demon possession, Joanna, the wife of one of Herod's officials, and Susanna, along with other women who were providing support to the work of Jesus out of their own possessions. You see, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And they loved Jesus. They wanted to see the ministry of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus advance. And we're given insight by Jesus into the purpose of parables, of which he teaches one here in this context. Jesus was a master storyteller. People flocked to hear his teaching they flocked to hear the wonderful stories and the parables that he shared. And the meaning of the word parable is essentially to place alongside of one another two concepts in order to make a comparison and to draw a conclusion. And it's something typically from the physical world that is intended to communicate a spiritual concept. Jesus taught some 38 parables, 30 of which I believe are unique stories. And he says here in verse 10, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables. And then he quotes a passage from Isaiah the prophet. Now the word mystery here is an interesting word. Outside of Christianity, it was generally used to refer to a secret teaching or to something that was at once hidden, but then needed to be uncovered or revealed. Here, the mystery is the powerful manifestation of the kingdom of God that was at once hidden, but now it's been revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's been revealed specifically in His coming. Those who follow Jesus and believe His message to be true— will have the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God because they're revealed by faith. They're not intended to remain as mysteries. They're intended to be revealed to us because God has revealed himself to us. And then those who do not follow Jesus and who do not believe his message to be true and do not have the same knowledge will not understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God and they will remain hidden. Now, for a framework of the kingdom of God, generally we're talking about the overarching rule and reign of God over all that He's created and over all of time and eternity. It's God's sovereignty that's ruling over all things that we can conceive of. But more specifically, the kingdom of God is the spiritual reign of God in the hearts and the lives of all who believe in and follow Jesus. So the kingdom of God is. Has a broad application and it also has a very narrow application because it's made manifest in our lives. And even more specifically, the kingdom of God was inaugurated in the life and the atoning death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we believe in him and we follow him, we are citizens of the kingdom. So if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom, repent of your sins and follow Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. And as we think about this kingdom of God, we know that it's coming toward a desired end. So what is the vision of the kingdom of God? Well, we get an insight into it in Revelation 7 and verse 9. And John gets a vision of what he sees around the throne of God in heaven, and here's what he says. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, Peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, "Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb." That's the vision of God bringing people into His kingdom family, until someday we're all gathered around the throne in heaven, and we're bringing praise and glory to the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. Now this imagery that Jesus uses here was imagery that the people would have identified with. After all, it was an agrarian society. It was farming imagery that Jesus used. Uh, people would have routinely seen a farmer with a seed bag slung over his shoulder making his way through the fields, scattering the seed. Even today, the area around the Sea of Galilee is an agrarian area. There's still Large fields that are very fertile, and they grow a lot of things up in that region of the land of God's people. And Jesus spoke in this common language so that people would identify with what he was teaching. And I want to share with you three principles about growth in the kingdom of God from this passage. And the first is this growth in the kingdom of God requires seed sowing, it requires seed sowing. Verse 5 says, a sower went out to sow. Now, a sower would take seed and broadcast it into the prepared field where the dirt had been turned up and prepared for the seed to be sown. Now, sometimes that seed was sown very broadly because they would be planting the whole field. So picture again for a moment this farmer with the seed bag slung over his shoulder. And he's making his way through the first pass in the field. And he's broadly scattering seed as he goes down. He gets to the edge of his property. He turns around and does an about face. And he begins his journey back down the field, spreading seed again where it's not been sown. This is the image that Jesus gives us. And Jesus is the ultimate sower here in the story. But all of us who follow Jesus have the responsibility to sow seed. And whether it's Jesus spreading the seed far and wide, or we, as we follow Jesus, spreading the seed far and wide, we've got the responsibility to sow seed in the kingdom of God. Now, the law of sowing and reaping also applies here. Now, admittedly, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 9 is a passage about sowing and reaping that has to do with financial stewardship. But the principle applies in the Word of God that sowing and reaping go hand in hand. In other words, the sower is going to gather what is sown. So if you sow wheat, you're going to reap wheat. You wouldn't expect that you're going to sow wheat and you're going to reap corn. Additionally, the sower is going to gather in proportion to what he has sown. So if you sow 10 acres, you're going to expect to harvest 10 acres. But there's a variation here in the kingdom of God. Because when we sow seed in the kingdom of God, there's this idea here of multiplication. And where do we see an example of this? Well, the day of Pentecost would be a good example. Remember the disciples had gathered there in the upper room and they had prayed and they had awaited the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit came, uh, the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost. The church was born. Thousands of people were saved. And those people who were saved were pressed back out into where they had come from. And when they went, the gospel went with them. And this small number of disciples who had followed Jesus continued their work of preaching the gospel. And it multiplied many times over until we get to our present day. And it is even still multiplying. To understand that when the seed is sown, we're not just going to get what we have sown. We're going to see a multiplication of it. And that's a kingdom principle. And the sower cannot control what happens once the seed is sown. The sower doesn't control the weather. The sower doesn't control the soil conditions that are affected by the weather. We don't cause the growth. We are only responsible for our diligence in sowing the seed that God has called us to sow. And that brings me to the second principle what is it that we're sowing? Well, growth in the kingdom of God requires sowing the right seed. Jesus tells us what the seed is in verse 11. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. I'm reminded of Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 and following. He says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Think about it. The word of God has endured persecution, and yet it has stood. The Word of God has endured changing philosophies, and yet it has stood. The Word of God has endured doubt and disbelief, and yet it has stood. And not only has it stood, but we are promised that the Word of God will endure forever. And Peter reminds us that man in his glory is temporary. Hey, we're only lasting for a short time. And to illustrate that temporary glory that we have, he says, "...consider the flowers of the field. They've got such a short lifespan." They're here and then they're gone. It's like the flowers in the spring that are so beautiful, they last for a little while and then they fade away. But in contrast, God's word is eternal and it lasts forever. Peter was quoting from Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 40 assured the Israelites that they had a future hope. Even though they found themselves in the midst of darkness and difficulty, they had a future hope because the Word of God was true. Even though God had chastened them for their sins, there was a day of redemption coming that could fix uh, them and bring reconciliation between them and God and on which they could place their hope. So let me say it this way. The Word of God is the incorruptible seed by which people are born again. That's what Peter says. So the Word of God is essential for faith in Christ. The Word of God is essential for the new birth. The Word of God is essential for our understanding of truth. And the Word of God is essential for our maturity as the people of God. And without the sowing of the seed, which is the Word of God, there's no salvation, there's no spiritual growth, there's no spiritual stability, and ultimately, there is no spiritual maturity. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 10, beginning in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, And who bring tidings, glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. No one can call on the name of Jesus for salvation until they've heard the word. Until they have been presented with the gospel. Until they have had the seed sown into the soil of their life, and no one can proclaim it unless we've been sent by God. So we, as followers of Jesus, are to be sowers of the seed of the Word of God. We want to be obedient and faithful, and we want to be sure that we're sowing the right seed, not our own opinions, not our own preferences, not our own concepts of what it should be like, We've been given the seed of the word of God, which is the word of truth, and we want to share it with others. And then the third principle, growth in the kingdom of God requires the right soil. It requires the right soil. Now, you're familiar with these soils, but we're going to go through them here for just a few moments, and we're going to think about what Jesus is teaching. And I believe that the soil represents the condition of the human heart at the time that the seed is being sown. So I think each one of these specific types of soil are representative of the condition of human hearts when the seed is being sown. So in that regard, the conditions are not permanent or fixed, but they are what the heart is and how the heart receives at the moment that the seed is sown jesus identifies four types of soils the first is the wayside soil one of the things that we're blessed by here in this parable is jesus didn't just tell the parable he tells the parable and he also gives us commentary on what the parable means i mean how much better could this get we've got the living word sharing the written word and that we now have passed down to us And he's also explaining it to us. So we don't even have to conjecture what it means. Jesus tells us. So here's the wayside soil in verse 5. And he sowed, uh, and some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now, as I said, in the fields in those days, there were these footpaths in between the fields, between the areas that had been turned up and prepared for the seed to be sown. They didn't have roads or these highways that drive fast down. They had footpaths that would be uh, used by people and also beasts of burden. And as you might imagine, these footpaths would get beaten down and they'd get dried out and they'd become uh, pretty solid and and it was hard for anything to penetrate them. And that's what Jesus is envisioning here, that when the seed was sown, that some of it would go beyond the furrow, it would go beyond the the, the soil that it needed to fall in, and it would fall on the path and when it fell on the path it wouldn 't sink in it wouldn 't sink in it wouldn 't penetrate so what would happen is the birds would come and they just snatch it away. You know how it is when you cast seed out in your yard and all of a sudden there the birds are, and they they start eating it, um, and maybe you intended it for them to eat it, but if you 're Growing a garden, you don't want them eating the seed. And that also happens. And Jesus gives us some commentary in verse 12. And here's what he says Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So all of a sudden, Satan, who is the arch enemy, he's praying on the hard hearted and on the stiff necked person. He's taking advantage of the unresponsive hearers. The seed has only fallen on the surface. Sin has hardened their heart, and they've willfully suppressed the truth. And as a result of it, rather than it taking root, it's taken away. And we've all run into people like this. We've shared with good intentions about the love of God and about salvation that's to be found in Jesus We're met with a blank stare, or maybe we're met with an outright rejection. There's no desire at all for the seed to be received. And as a result of it, people go on their way, and we're left to try for another day. That's the wayside soil. Then there's the rocky soil. Verse 6 says, some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered because it lacked moisture. So the seed was received, but it didn't take a full root. There was no permanent connection because what happened was it fell to a shallow depth and it sprang up, but it faded away because the sun scorched it. And Jesus gives us commentary again in verse 13, and he says, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a little while, in a time of temptation fall away. So these are the people that the seed is gladly received. They may be people that are willing to to pray a prayer of faith and to tell you that they believe in Jesus Christ and that they want to know and to follow him in that moment, but evidently they've not truly been born again. So let me say it another way. These are those who have a start but they don't have a finish. They experience a beginning, but they don't have an end. It makes me think of the passage in 1 John 2, in verse 19. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that uh, it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So note, we're not talking about people here who were saved genuinely and then fell away. We're not talking about losing your salvation here because the good work that God begins in us, He finishes. If it is of grace, then it is all of grace. And if we were to think that somehow a sin or a number of sins could remove us from the grace of God, then it would cease to be grace and it would become works. This is not what Jesus is teaching, but He's making a clear point that the rocky soil is dangerous. And what reveals whether or not it's the rocky soil is when times of temptation or tribulation come and counterfeit believers are revealed. Then there's the thorny soil, verse 7. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it out. Commentary in verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, uh, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. What are the cares of life? It might be your career. It might be your activities of leisure. It might be uh, your busyness. It might be thinking of Jesus as something that gets you ultimate deliverance to heaven, but he's just kind of an an add-on to your life. He's not truly Lord. He's not seated on the throne of your life. And listen, if any soil here defines a a lot of the problem in churches today, it's this one. It's because people don't take seriously the seed of the word of God. They don't understand that a claim of salvation is also a claim of lordship. And Jesus ends up getting a second best, if at all. And as a result of it, the life is revealed as a thorny soil. You might also be choked out by riches. This is the love and the lust of money. Listen, there's nothing wrong with material possessions. The The idea is if our material possessions have hold to us and we lust after them and they're placed as an idol in our lives, then there's something wrong with them. But if we're seeing ourselves as a, a river of God's blessing rather than a reservoir to hold on to things and God chooses for whatever reason to bless us with resources and we use them for God's glory, that's okay. But what he's talking about here is, or when the possessions cause us to have a self-confidence and a self-dependence that leads us away from God. And listen, I want to warn you against this, particularly if you're on the younger end of your life and you're thinking about what your future is going to look like. If your life is wrapped up in how much you can get and what you're going to do for yourself as a result of that, you need to ask the Lord to help you to make sure that you're not the thorny soil and to ask him to help you set your priorities right. So that you can honor God with them. And then the pleasures of this life obviously choke out God's word in the seed as well. And then finally, the soil that we want to be is the good soil. Verse 8 says, but others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. The ground was plowed, it was soft, it was ready to receive the seed. The seed as a result took hold and it yielded fruit. In verse 15 is the commentary. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So this is the heart that's receptive. It's the heart that is soft to the things of God. And it's the heart that is ready for that seed to take root and then to multiply. So now I mentioned earlier in the message multiplication in the kingdom in terms of people coming to Christ and the work expanding and and many people coming into the kingdom but I think there's another application of this here in that there's much fruit born out in our lives for the glory of God when our lives are good soil so everything that we do if we're living for the glory of God that soil is going to produce a harvest and it's going to be for the honor of our Lord say well how can I know if I'm the good soil well, I think anybody who is willing to repent and believe and follow Jesus as his disciple on his terms is good soil. Let me say that again. I think anybody who is willing to repent and believe and follow Jesus as his disciple on his terms is good soil. And you want to be sure that that soil of your life is is continually cultivated. you you got to tend a garden. you got to take care of a farm. You've got to nurture something that you're growing. And it's the same way with your spiritual life. If you're not nurturing it, if you're not in the Word, and you're not praying, and you're not seeking the Lord, you're not going to grow like the Lord wants you to grow. And you're not going to bear fruit like the Lord wants you to bear fruit. So here's my application for us in closing. God is calling us to hear the word, to hold on to it, endure, and bear fruit. God is calling us to hear the word, hold on to it, endure, and bear fruit. Our responsibility is to sow seed. God makes the seed grow. And there is a time of harvest coming. Check the soil of your heart. Is it hard and resistant? Is it shallow and impulsive? Is it divided and worldly? Or is it responsive to God's word over the long haul? Ask God for a responsive heart. And cultivate the word every day in your life. And you will reap the rewards of eternal life in yourself. And you'll see the rewards reaped in others as well let's bow our heads together just for a moment as we pray here in just a moment after i pray uh, pastor eric is going to come and lead a closing song for us and then i'm going to come back and give you some uh, parting instructions on our dismissal and uh, i want us to think just for a moment now though reflecting on this word that we've just heard ask the lord what he would have you to take away from here based on the words of Jesus. Is there a step of faith that needs to be taken? Is there a change in your life that needs to be brought about? Is there a prayer of faith that you need to pray? Maybe you're asking God to use you to sow the seed more effectively. Listen, however God's calling you, would you hear and respond? Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for Jesus who taught these deep truths in ways that people ultimately could understand as the Spirit of God brought understanding to their hearts. We thank you today that as we reflect on the words of Jesus, that it gives us a lens through which to look at our own lives and to ask what kind of soil it is that we have, what kind of soil it is that we're cultivating. And Lord, we want to honor you, and we want to see growth, and we want to see multiplication of your kingdom. So may these principles be applied to our lives in a way that honors you and brings glory to your name. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.